0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, as we're kind of continuing talking about the feast days that these episodes are going to be initially released upon, this episode is released upon August 9th, the Feast of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. So from what you told me here and, and reading the bio that you gave me, that she was a Jewish convert to the Catholic faith who ultimately ended up being martyred at Auschwitz. And there's obviously a lot of stuff that goes there as far as evil of World War II that unfortunately is still happening in today's world, even though people try not to talk about it because it happens in China and all kinds of other places in the world, but it does. And it's something that is still a plague upon our planet. So Obviously, being a saint, I would like to think that that's a conversation point, and there's going to be a lot of good content that comes out of reflecting upon her and thinking about how we can emulate her into our lives as what the point of talking about all of these saints are. How can we emulate their holiness so we ourselves can become holy like a saint as well?
1: You know, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross— whose name before she entered the Carmelite Monastery in uh, the Netherlands was Edith Stein, and a lot of people would still know her as that. She was a world-class philosopher, a beloved student of Edmund Husserl, who is the father of phenomenology. And for those who are not up to date on their philosophical studies, phenomenology is the School of philosophical thought that Saint John Paul II was also a major proponent of, and is uh, really one of the great contributions of the 20th century to uh, to philosophy. Uh, Edith Stein was uh, outstanding in her uh, insight, brilliant, uh, a genius, and uh, really one of his greatest students. She authored a number of books. And uh, as I say, was a, a world-class philosopher. So without anything else, she would be famous. Um, but in along her journey, she was raised as, uh, uh, she was Jewish by birth and uh, was raised pretty nominally Jewish and wasn't really practicing faith. But through uh, her interaction with, with several people uh, at some critical junctures, became really impressed with Christianity and Catholicism in particular, and and started a journey into the Catholic Church that was costly for her. It caused a a lot of rift with her mother uh, as a feeling that she was abandoning her Jewish roots, when in fact she saw and eventually convinced her mother that it wasn't abandoning, but rather the fulfillment of her Jewish roots. She wasn't turning her back on uh, being a member of the chosen people, but was fully embracing the fulfillment of that in the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, who uh, was a member of the chosen people of the Jewish people. And then, of course, also by his uh, divine decision, incorporated the rest of us also into the, the chosen people as as Christians. So uh, Edith Stein understood that, became Catholic and then uh entered a Carmelite monastery, and that's when she received the name Saint Teresa after uh Teresa of Avila, but also Benedicta uh in uh in her love for Saint Benedict and the and the Benedictine tradition, and then of the cross out of her love for Saint John of the Cross, and and then she really lived that. So all of this was happening in the beginning of the 20th century. And she, she entered the Carmelite monastery, which is a life of real sacrifice. For our listeners who don't know much about the Carmelites, uh, especially the Carmelite nuns live a strictly cloistered life. Uh, they live uh, separated from the world in a, in a fairly radical way. They live a lot of prayer and uh, personal sacrifice. And... Uh, so, St. Therese is well known among the Carmelites, or St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross would be one of the, the male Carmelites, obviously. But uh, St. Teresa Benedicta entered the Carmelite monastery and essentially disappeared from the world. So, one doesn't normally become famous as a Carmelite nun, and uh, one disappears from the world very intentionally in order to make that Holocaust, that personal self offering of prayer and sacrifice to pray for priests, to pray for sinners, to pray for the sick, to pray for evangelization, to pray for uh, whatever other particular intentions the Lord might place on their hearts and entrust to the monasteries. The uh, great insight of St. Therese as she struggled with this desire to become everything was that, in fact, in the mystical body of Christ, we think of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where St. Paul talks about the church being the mystical body of Christ. There are arms and legs and eyes and ears. And St. Therese had the insight that she is the heart. The heart is what is hidden away inside of the body. And yet it's what makes all of the other organs and limbs of the body able to function. And so the Carmelite nun lives in the heart of the church. And uh, the Carmelite nun or other contemplative orders also are really the heart of their individual dioceses and the heart of the church. A lot of times in mission lands, um, a missionary uh, land has really come to its full stature when it's uh, established a, a, a contemplative monastery in its midst. And so then it has really a beating heart and is, uh, is rooted in that particular place and time. So St. Teresa Benedicta entered the Carmelite monastery in the Netherlands with no expectation of having any further interaction. It was really a radical response to a call from God to be a spouse of Christ. And that would be another dimension of the spirituality of, uh, of a contemplative nun, a nun in general is to be a spouse of Christ that they're foregoing marriage to another human being in this life in order to enter into that eternal marriage that is possible with Christ as the divine bridegroom. And uh, with that very romantic uh, and uh, mystical reality, uh, that mystical vocation, St. Teresa Benedicta entered the the Carmelite monastery, but it was uh, right as the Nazis were also taking power in Germany. And so, uh, shortly after that, when the the Nazis took over, invaded Holland, uh, then the Jews in particular, they became the first targets. And because she had, uh, although she was a convert to the Catholic faith, she was still Jewish and the Nazis were determined to wipe out the Jews. And so they began to round up all of the Jews in Holland. And there are a number of other heroic stories. I'll just mention one uh, kind of as a footnote that as they were uh, allowing the, the Catholics to function normally and not basically bothering the allowing the country to, f- to function in a sovereign way, they were uh, rounding up the Jews. And they basically threatened people that if they uh, interfered, that they would also be rounded up and executed and their businesses would be interfered with and their operations would be limited. Um, but if they just you know turned the other way, if they looked the other direction, if they ignored what was happening, then they would be left alone. And there's another saint, Titus Bransma, who was just canonized a couple months ago by Pope Francis, who uh, was also a Carmelite. Uh, he was a Carmelite father, and he was very influential in the media, and he refused to be quiet. He refused to turn the other way he refused to allow the Nazi uh, imprisonment of the Jews and ultimately deporting and execution of the Jews to to keep taking place. And so he spoke out loudly and repeatedly and eventually he also was arrested and he was imprisoned in Dachau, the uh, concentration camp near Munich in Germany and uh, u- ultimately died of lethal injection, was executed he managed to convert the nurse who uh, issued his excommunication, his uh, his execution. And uh, she testified it for his cause for canonization eventually. But anyway, Titus Brandsma is another very inspiring figure, as were many, many priests and nuns in Nazi Germany, in terrible circumstances, concentration camps. Um, We could have a whole series of episodes on this if you wanted to, but uh, so back to Teresa Benedicta. She was uh, she was arrested uh, along with her blood sister, who they had taken in as a kind of janitor in the monastery to try and protect her from the Nazis. But they eventually came in and identified the two Jewish women, and uh, took them to Auschwitz, where they were uh, targeted for for extermination. Along the way, and this is just one point that I want to highlight, and then I'll give you a word edgewise. Uh, Teresa Benedicta, she never forsook her Jewish people, her Jewish roots. And she understood that what was being done, that um, she understood that she would likely be uh, uh, executed in, in Auschwitz. And she knew that she was with millions of Jews but she was able to unite her sufferings to the sacrifice of Christ. She understood that the self-offering uh, we can make out of love in union with Christ is something valuable, is something meaningful, uh, is, uh, is a powerful force for transforming the world. Christ didn't ultimately save the world by preaching and healing. He saved the world by suffering and dying. And we also can participate in that. And she understood that she could participate in that. And she watched so many of her Jewish brothers and sisters who didn't understand that they could participate in that. And so she made this intentional offer on their behalf, that she wanted to be in their midst, and she wanted to make the offering for herself and also for them in union with Christ, that all of the suffering wouldn't be in vain, but that it would also be for the transformation of uh, souls, uh, healing, the salvation of souls and the transformation of the world. And uh, there's a beautiful lesson for us in that, that we who suffer various things and we who are united with various kinds of people uh, can make an offering of that and can unite that to Christ for our own sake and for the sake of our brothers and sisters. And so St. Teresa Benedicta really gives us a lesson in that, in, uh, in her example.
0: So much to unpack there. And the notion of being able to participate with Jesus in uplifting pain and the hardships of all of that is, is obviously it's a gift that people don't really recognize of the faith. And ultimately, in a lot of ways, what it says is you are not alone. And wherever this darkest place that you are at or, in her case, going to and willingly going to, um, you are not alone. And it makes me think directly of the quote from the Stations of the Cross when they said, like a lamb before the shears, he entered and raised not his voice. And knowing that, that that you were going to go to a place where you already knew what the end game was going to be, that the Germans weren't taking you there to have summer camp. Um, you know, it, it was very obvious what the Holocaust was. And to still willfully do it um, – and to accept it is something that's that, that that's real there and, and obviously very heroic in, in all its right, and that's how you become a saint. So one of the other things that you said in the beginning when you were talking about how she converted from Judaism as the fulfillment of, of, of what the, the Jewish faith was teaching and how Jesus is the fulfillment of that, a question came to my mind, and and this might be misconstruing what you said there that's kind of applicable to all of us as Christians is that if Jesus is the result of the fulfillment of all the prophets, which is what the faith is in a large way, it also would stand the reason that all of the titles that God gave the Israelites in the old Testament, the chosen people um, in particularly would then carry into Christianity as well. And that's not something I've ever thought of, because it's always, when people quote it, it's, it's Israel is my chosen people. And in my head, it was always thought like, well, they are just still they, and us Christians are just something different. But the way that you articulated that in just a couple of sentences, it makes me now think that it's wrong. And this is a thought that I probably never would have had if, had you not given that description you have done. So... Is there any merit in my thought or am I totally wrong?
1: Uh well, the our, our approach to the uh, to the Jewish people is uh, uh valuably nuanced by the Second Vatican Council document Nostra Aetate and uh Uh, Yeah, we do see, we see ourselves as the spiritual children uh, of, of the Jewish people. Uh, So the, uh, the, we are a continuation of them and, and so, and, and the fulfillment of them. Uh, Let, let me approach it from a different, a different angle. The, uh, one way to look at it is that, that God promised to save all of the chosen people and uh, because of their intermingling with the nations, uh, especially in northern Israel, uh, in the Babylonian exile uh, and the Assyrian exile in the 600s, 500s, 400s BC, they, uh, they became sort of uh, unrecognizable uh, who's Jewish and who isn't. They were so intermarried and so intermingled. And so in order to save them, this is a certain kind of logic. It's a sort of biblical logic. In order to save the Jewish people, really, God could only do that by saving everyone. (laughs) And so instead of this is what God always does. When we frustrate his small plans, he doesn't abandon them. He makes bigger plans. And so God uh, doesn't withhold grace. He gives more grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And this is one way to interpret the logic of St. Paul in uh, Romans uh, chapter 10, 9, 10, 11, is that the, the Jews, having gone astray and intermarried with the nations, uh, now in order to save all of them, which God had promised, he has to save everyone. And so it's a, it's a further generalization of his plan of salvation. And, uh, and we're very much the continuation of his uh, his covenant with them. Now he's made a new and eternal covenant in his blood, um, but it builds on; it doesn't sort of uh, destroy the uh, the covenant that he made with them. Just as the series of covenants with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Israel, uh, that that sequence of covenants then continues with Christ, and. Uh, and, and it's steadily building from a covenant of one, one marriage to a covenant of one family with Noah, to a covenant of one nation uh, with Abraham, to a covenant of uh, 12 tribes, uh, I guess, uh, anyway, with, uh, with Israel, and then uh, ultimately a covenant with the whole world, with Christ, uh, with us. And so, no, we're, uh, we're very much a continuation of his covenant with the Jews and a fulfillment of it in Christ, the Messiah, not a sort of us and them uh, differentiation. And if
0: you look at the contrast of that uh, between the evil that we were discussing in the beginning here, and then the, the holiness and love of God's plan being that the evil of the Holocaust was strictly targeting, or at least initially, those who were born into something. And then therefore, we they, they chose that you were evil because of the way that you were born and who your parents were. And what the, the love of the faith is, is saying is it doesn't matter where you came from. It matters what you do and, and how you live. Do you live in a way that's going to confront evil as the the father you mentioned there? Or do you live in a way that's going to reunite yourself more tightly with Christ? Um, as St. Teresa is doing in, in the conversation we mentioned earlier. And it's really our actions that can matter and not necessarily was I born into this tradition or that tradition. It's what do we do with ourselves? And in that regard, it's the greatest opportunity you ever could have in that God has allowed us to grow with him and to grow into him by being holy in our own nature and that we can take that option and we can essentially refuse him or we can accept him in each of our day-to-day actions. And obviously in today's conversation, we discuss some very heroic saints, but to do this in day-to-day life, to move forward and to try to emulate them, we don't need to have a giant evil holocaust going on in our midst we can do it with any form of wrongdoing or injustice that we see now granted use the virtue of prudence to make sure what they're discussing is actually reality um, that's a big part of it too but to have the courage to stand up to what is wrong and to keep ourselves in a spot where our actions are guiding us to be better is really a key gift and it doesn't matter who our parents were, or who our grandparents were it matters what we do and then the actions of our lives.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons I mentioned, uh, that one, that particular aspect of St. Teresa Benedict of the cross is that now she had, uh, the offering of her whole life, uh, Ultimately, she was killed in a gas chamber, and uh, and her body was burned. I mean, anyway, the she had that kind of radical offering, but she was part of a group, uh, the Jewish people. She was suffering together with others who were suffering the same way, and she made that offering not only on her own behalf but on behalf of others. And so, uh, we're in a sim. Each of us is in a similar situation. Um, now, maybe the group that you're associated with is, uh, Pennsylvanians or Pittsburghers or, um, you know, people who have a particular condition like a multiple sclerosis or, or, uh, a, a blindness or something like that. Um, people who are suffering not through, uh, being sent to a gas chamber, but who are suffering on a daily basis through some form of oppression or chronic illness or, uh, or a certain kind of poverty or other limitation, uh, that whatever we're going through today, we can offer on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of others. To bring it back to St. Therese, whom I mentioned a little bit earlier, she experienced a darkness, a night of faith, and she connected that with the suffering of atheists. She called it eating the bread of unbelievers. What she was experiencing emotionally and spiritually was what atheists would go through in their own disbelief and and separation from God. And so she saw in that suffering something that she could offer up on behalf of herself and on behalf of them in union with the sufferings of sacrifice of Christ. And so whatever it is that we're going through, uh, we're together with others, and we can offer up that suffering, and it matters. And so that's just uh, one message I, I wanted to highlight from Teresa Benedicta and uh, and Therese and and others uh, who give us just a great example on that.
0: Yeah. And such beautiful thoughts and, and essentially saying that it doesn't matter how bad we think we have it, how, how dark it looks for us. There's going to be someone with us and we can use this as an opportunity when we are in those dark places to connect deeper with Christ and that there's not really a possibility with him being God who created everything, that there's a situation where he won't be there for us to be able to relate with us on some capacity. If we just are willing to listen and open ourselves up to him to do as his actions call or do our actions as, as we're called to do in our own unique way, it's something that's just remarkable that that is a big part of our faith and and a big part of of all the Christianity that so many people forsake and they just want to stay in their own little bubble and it creates an isolation of the spirit and as you're saying here how St. Therese went through it that's what the atheists go through to put yourself in a direction towards that bitterness just is very counterintuitive if you think about it. why would you want to go towards something that's going to be bad? You know, most of us live our entire lives to get to something that's better. It's just normally things that our tangible senses can feel. You know, it's very hot outside in the summer. I want to get somewhere that's cooler. I want to be able to make sure my air conditioning is on. Or it's very cold in the winter. I want to be able to be somewhere where it's warm. I want to create this invention called fire. Um, so we think about that, but when we look at our spiritual lives which really ultimately do blend into the rest of our relationships and all of our physical well-being, we don't take care of that. And it's a third of our being, but we ignore it more often than not because we can't physically touch it. And it's something that's, A, it's a misnomer, which means it's incorrect. But B, it's something that we all can be called to do. So it's something to do moving forward for the rest of, of the week here. Just to, to think about sitting in a quiet place and letting prayer come over you for just 10 minutes of continuous silence and seeing what notions get told to you, the actions that we can implement within our own lives, in our own way to become more holy.
1: And just to piggyback on one thing that you said, Joe, as uh, your invitation to reflect is uh, very beautiful Uh, when we suffer from the cold and we come up with an invention of fire we are doing that on our own behalf and also for others others are also suffering from the cold and others also benefit from our effort from our invention and that's not unrelated to what i was talking about in terms of uh, of suffering and uh, being able to offer up the the thing that we're going through, just as not everybody knows how to invent fire, not everybody knows how to offer up suffering. And so doing what we can, we do it for ourselves and we do it in solidarity, in communion with others. And so just as you said, taking time to reflect on what's the, what's the offering that I can make and who else can I make it for? Who am I in communion with, in solidarity with, and uh, how can we grow in all together?
0: And what a beautiful way to to end this episode. So we thank everyone for listening. Please continue to hit subscribe um, and share it. And if you have not done so yet, please leave us a review, especially on one of the Apple services. Thank you guys very much.